<laughs> How are we going to start? How are we starting? <laughs> I want to do something from The Wiz, but I couldn't think of the song. Oh. What oh. would I do? <laughs> no. I can't win. <laughs> you got to do win. <laughs> I can't break even. Ooh, come on, vocal. Can't That's right. get out of the game. I can't get out <laughs> of the game. Come on, Range. Welcome to Scholar Tea. <laughs> <laughs> we are scholars giving you the tea and a little bit of the whiz. <laughs> I am Cameron Carl. And I'm Shauna. I'm Tatiana. <laughs> Do I introduce myself too? Shauna needs to introduce you. My bad. And we have Tatiana. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, y'all, we're doing something a little different today. It's going to be a tripartite. Mm-hmm. Special guest co host. Mm-hmm. Dr. Tatiana McKinnis. <laughs> Welcome to Scholar T, Dr. McKinnis. Thank you all so much for having me. Yeah, Thank I'm you excited for to have coming. you. So I heard a little rumor before we get started. Can uh-huh. I just clear the air here? Ooh. I heard you actually don't listen to the podcast. Oh, I have listened. I okay. just have not listened consistently. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're not caught up on the episodes. I am not caught up. Oh, okay. But you subscribed. I subscribed. Okay. Just, mm-hmm. just want to clear that up. I Okay. <laughs> how how many episodes though? Do do we need to go into the details? Oh. I think it's been three. I'm not lying. Okay. I think it's three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She has the summer. I do have the summer to catch up. You gonna lay on a beach? That's right. Pop she's it got in, shit to do. Relax. So I don't know when she's gonna listen. To <laughs> Whoa. Shana said you are Kelly Price book. I'm just, That's she right. is. Tatiana, tell the people who you are. Um, so my name is Tatiana McKennis. I'm the associate director of the Davis Center. I work with Shauna, fortunately, beautifully, amazingly. And I'm originally from Miami, Florida, but I'm coming to Williamstown by way of Nashville, Tennessee. Right. Hey, 305. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so how are we feeling today? If you were a book title, what book title is your mood on today? Ooh. How to Leave Hialeah is my mood today. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I miss home, but I hate home. Mm. And I'm feeling nostalgic about home. And I know once I get there at the end of July, I'm going to be like, man, <laughs> why'd I come back here? No, you're going to enjoy it. No, I'm going to love it. But also, it's Miami. You know how Miami is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's my mood. How about y'all? I chose The Alchemist. Ooh, because I'm seeking to find my true self mm. and make sense of that while I'm traversing this mountain, mm. literally. Ooh. I have a similar one. Wow. Mine is a purpose-driven life, mm. right? Mm. I've been really thinking about like purpose and who gets to define purpose and how do I define purpose. We were just talking about the Zora Neale Hurston quote, um, right? Like, And this has been a year of answers for me. I've been writing down things that have been happening this year and what they've answered. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm really, really in a, a Jan LeVanzant, Dr. Phil type, you know, mm-hmm. mood today. Growth. On today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Growth. And I'm struggling to find a space of reflection so that I can do those things. Mm-hmm. I'm really struggling right now. Mm-hmm. So I would like some space 
so I can do that. Yeah. Is that space as in like hours in a day or time away from here or all of the above? All of it. Yeah. And maybe even some physical space. Mm-hmm. So I was able to do some of that at a conference, which was really interesting in a real interesting way, too. And oftentimes the only space that you need is away from your routine. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's the space right. that, that you need, right? Mm-hmm. And able to do some of that. Yeah. So today's episode, we are going to highlight our Scholar of the Week, Dr. Darius Means, important work that he's doing. We're going to have a little hot topic conversation around legal marijuana and what does that mean for college campuses. We want to interview you in a more in-depth way, Tatiana. Mm -hmm. And then we are going to talk about what's problematic. And then the grand finale is always them damn jokes. She's already laughing. Uh, at you, though. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Can't What's great her. is like you have the kind of hour and a half, two hour block. This is just work for us. Like at work in the office, Shauna's always like, I got one. I got one. I don't. Ooh. You will sneak some in. But see how she did. She tried to play Charles. Shout out to Charles. She tried to play Charles on the podcast. I'm like, girl, you know, you be doing some corny jokes, too. But I claimed it. OK, that's fair. Yeah, lean into who you are. Corny joke master. Are you trying to say others don't claim it? Yeah, I'm saying that. Some people don't. They don't realize they're really bad at telling jokes and whatnot. They actually think they're funny and entertaining, (laughs) and they're not. Shauna takes notes and is like, this is how you could have done that better. Yeah. She's she's subtweeting somebody right now. This week's Scholar of the Week is Dr. Darius Means. Mm-hmm. Dr. Means is an assistant professor in the Department of Counseling and Human Development Services at the University of Georgia. He primarily works with graduate students in the College Student Affairs Administration Program and Student Affairs Leadership Program. Dr. Means' research and scholarship focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion in K-12 and higher education contexts, and specifically his research and scholarship focuses on three primary areas. So he looks at college access, choice, transition, and persistence of students of color, low-income students, and first-generation college students, and the collegiate experience and identity development of black, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and queer students, and uses participatory action research. Dr. Means is a past ACPA emerging scholar, and his research has appeared in several higher education journals. Shout out to Dr. Means and the important work that he is doing. Shout it. Shout it. Preach it. A word. So our hot topic, Southern University is going to join a booming legal marijuana industry. Southern University Agricultural and Mechanical College in Baton Rouge is set to make strides in Louisiana's legal marijuana industry as the institution's plan to launch a new medical marijuana program moved forward following a recent Board of Supervisors vote. The 12-3 vote on May 25th approving a contract with pharmaceutical-grade marijuana products company Advanced Biomedics, LLC, will establish a partnership with SU Ag Center to cultivate and produce medical marijuana at Southern's research facilities. The move is historic for the HBCU as it is the first to offer a program about legal cannabis. Southern is one of only two public universities in the nation, along with Louisiana State University, to legally research and grow marijuana in their facilities. I might be transferring soon. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on this? What concerns, if any, does this raise for you? I think it's great, right? I think it's if I was about to say motherfuckers. If people are, (laughs) (laughs) uh, if people are now making coins on coins off of marijuana, 
then our universities should be providing the proper research, the proper information, the opportunity for learning of these college students and the process, especially medical marijuana and its benefits. This is what needs to be happening, right? Like this is where research happens. This is where knowledge thrives. Then I think, why not? Why wouldn't institutions be stepping into this? And the first thing I think of actually is the institutionalization of the criminal justice system. Yeah. That's right. And who's in the prison system right. for the use of marijuana or the selling and mm-hmm. procurement of marijuana. Mm-hmm. It has legitimized marijuana for certain folks and not others. I think for an HBCU to take the lead in this, maybe this might be one step closer to also maybe calling for the release of individuals who have been in prison mm-hmm. for the use, sell, whatever of marijuana. They're just using our bodies. So I feel like at least with an HBCU, a black mission-driven institution to then start to reclaim some of that space. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say, I think to your point, Cameron, about this is the natural step, right? If we're talking about legalization and talking about researching and kind of implementing and asking questions about cannabis and marijuana use more generally, my question is sort of like, is that research going to kind of cycle back to support the communities that need it, that don't have access to higher education institutions? Because I'm all for it. Like, and I'm sure I will learn a bunch about it um, and do more research on what they're doing, but also like learn about what the kind of outcomes are and you know as I practice myself you know get my healing but I also wanted to sort of serve the kind of underrepresented and oppressed communities this is cute or whatever but it's not cute for a lot of people Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and what about traditionally or historically white institutions that's what I'm nervous about Mm -hmm. is like then they see oh this is opportunity this is where we can get grant funding this is where we can get private pharmaceutical funding let me jump on this right like that's what I see happening is how then this can be co-opted or uh, what's the word stolen mm-hmm. from <laughs> thieving <laughs> thieving stolen <laughs> yeah that's that's the part that always you know, you know gives me pause is another institution a more well-known institution of institutional resources that might be able to put up a state-of-the-art lab or facility mm-hmm. luring away other possible HBCUs or minority serving institutions where something like this can contribute to scholarships or funding or other things for the institution. Or even understanding how the grantsmanship process works, you have to have already established some kind of relationship with a certain foundation, especially those larger ones. And so I imagine in addition to thievery of ideas, it would definitely be thievery of funds, right? Because let's say Williams or UPenn or Yale or Princeton decides to do this tomorrow, I'm pretty sure we're pretty close, I feel like the funds would then go directly to the institutions that don't need it, but want it and take it away from institutions that could actually utilize and operationalize those funds. Right. That'd be an issue. And I'm also thinking about the kind of cultural capital. And Shauna, we had this conversation, this was a while ago, but something that you said really stuck out to me, who is validated as a source for certain information and thinking about this research, which is really, really important and formative from one context to another and where it will be taken up um, and the kind of the impacts of that information and the dissemination of that information um, and what will be lost in translation, right? Because the way it's disseminated at Yale will look very different than coming out of an HBCU context. So. 
And I also wonder how would that reify people's topographies of blackness anyway, Mm -hmm. if it did come out of an HBCU. Like, of course they're going to do it because they're black, you know, versus if it were to come out of a historically white institution. Mm. I think those undertones would not be as present. That even precedes it being stolen. Of course, we're anticipating it being stolen, but that precedes it. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of like, oh, y'all are doing that. Cool. That's expected. We know that. Mm -hmm. That's your thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I say do it. And if y'all are hiring, my name is (laughs) (laughs) SPS3 at Williams.edu. That's right. My documents aren't false. So. Ooh. (laughs) Let's talk about that a little later, huh? I didn't realize that we spilled the tea in the middle of (laughs) The tea's always getting spilled. Scalding. Scalding. So, Tatiana, before we move on to the interview, I think we should tell this story about coyotes, alcohol, and Corinthian leather. What? Would you like to jump in? (laughs) If you start, I will jump in. What is this about? Go ahead. (laughs) See, you already went. Go ahead. So, our dear friend, Elaine Elliott, um, who I think you met. Cameron at the social really quickly Mm -hmm. was the sustainability coordinator at the Office for Environmental Justice and Sustainability here on campus, the Zilka Center. And she was leaving us. So we wanted to do a kind of going away party the way that you can in Williamstown, which is like we go over people's houses and we drink and eat. Um, So that's what we were doing. It was a beautiful evening. And so Shauna hosted and we were your neighbors were out of town. Yeah. And so we were on the porch. On their porch. On their porch. Oh, that's there. That we colonize. Can we say that? <laughs> we recolonized. We recolonized. Decolonized. You liberated. You liberated the we porch. We liberated the <laughs> porch. We were having pizza. Charles was making drinks. Charles and Shauna make the strongest drinks. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. In all of oh, I know history. <laughs> You're Not welcome. even a specific regional history. Just all of time. <laughs> They're very strong. Um. So I had had one and a half. We had candles lit on the porch citronella citronella to keep bugs away but apparently to attract coyotes i didn't know that this was going to be a thing we're eating pizza talking we're listening to you know j cole kendrick just you know beats and from my perspective shauna will tell her perspective and it will be very different than mine from my perspective i didn't hear anything over the music i heard shauna say coyote and then i heard charles turn the music down and then we heard howling it had to have been seven or eight coyotes it was a lot of them just howling it was a full it wasn't a full moon but it was like approaching a full moon Mm. so they were activated i'm assuming i don't know anything about coyotes i'm a werewolf that's what i'm saying i hear them once the volume is lowered and then we hear them again and they're closer shauna somehow this is happening within like a 30 second span just to give you a kind of time frame somehow within these 30 seconds shauna has blown out all the candles picked up one of them and dashed inside the house so she's inside, the door is closed. So Shauna lives on the second floor of the apartment. So she's in the first like landing on the first floor. Gradually, we all kind of trickle behind. So there's like five of us, right? Um, we're trickling behind. We all end up in the house. We're holding like, you know, the pizza boxes, some of the candles, just trying to get the things. Our friend Adriana, 
in the midst of this, I think I want to give her the benefit of the doubt that the liquor had hit. Oh, totally. Right? We were all good. We were all good. Nice. We weren't messy. We were, it was, it was it was nice. Smooth. Smooth. Yeah. Smooth. <laughs> smooth with a V. And Adriana is in the middle. She's like halfway up the stairs and suddenly she's like, my purse. <laughs> They're going to be attracted to my leather purse. <laughs> They're going to come get my purse. Her so, leather purse. Right. And so she's in the middle of the stairs. I'm at the bottom. Charles and I are kind of like trying to grab stuff and like get it together. I don't know what overcame your husband to be like. Alcohol. That's right. We got to get the purse. We got to go get the purse. So he steps back outside to grab the purse and then like some pizza boxes and stuff. And then we all end up in the house. And did I miss anything? So, yeah, I blew out the candles oh, that's right. <laughs> because they've come out on the porch before. So this is not something new. Mm-hmm. They've come all the way up to the house. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they are. They they're like, you're in our house now. Bitch. You know, I so. think that they just like J. Cole. I really think that that's what <laughs> it was. We're also attracted to the blackness. That's so, why. That's why they're um, like, oh, we've been ostracized also. But uh, right. <laughs> we're not like proper wolves. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're coyotes. We're coyotes. Yeah. So <laughs> I wasn't drunk again. Like I was very like Smooth. lightly. I was lightly tipsy. I wasn't even like real. I was clear enough to think, oh, if they come out here, <laughs> they might knock over the candles and start a fire. So that's why I blew the candles out. I blew them out so fast. That's so the, hard. The wax so forcefully. was on my face. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and in my hair. So I had this citronella wax on the side of my face mm-hmm. and in my hair and in her eyelashes. My eyelashes oh, just all over. And the thing is, like, because I came into the house after her, I missed all of this. But then when I came upstairs, we sat around the dining table. I like paused and I was like, Shauna, what? And I'm like, yes, what it's wax is on your and face? And I was, I was like, taking it off. It was the smoothest ever you know on one side of my face i don't yes so i have a sound bite of the sounds of these coyotes just so people can understand they came back last night so this conversation is very relevant because they mm-hmm. actually come out they do. often and this is what they sound like and i feel like they could see me so they quickly quieted once they realized i was recording Yeah, that's them in my neighborhood. And that's what we heard. And then we heard it louder. Yeah. And so we were like, we need to go. But we learned a lot, I think, about our respective responses to fear. So Shauna's quick <laughs> and will leave us. Shauna's like the person who's like, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun the slowest people running from the I bear. I will warn you. That's Shauna. It was a quick warning. It was not sufficient enough for us to know what was happening. The music was still playing when she yelled out coyotes. So I think like, you know, you warned delicately. I got wax on my face. I don't think it was that delicate. Anyway. But let's move on. Charles is the hero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You left your husband out there to get A. She did do that. He went back. He he went went back. back there. Mm -hmm. Elaine is also quick because she was the second one in the apartment. I'm the person who's not going to go outside, but I'll caretake for the person who goes outside Mm -hmm. because I just opened the door and I was like, Charles, you all right? You good? I'm going to close the door if they come. You know what I mean? Like that was me. Mm -hmm. And then Adriana, her materialism. I guess was her response to fear was like that leather purse though. And I just want to make the the note that the two Detroit players <laughs> in the room were the first two in the house. I think that is inculcation of our living situation as youth. Okay. Come on Detroit rat. That's yeah. right. Detroit My Detroit rat. players. All right, so we have some questions for you. Yay. 
Talk a little bit about your background in terms of education and how you got to the place that you are. Sure. So I did my undergraduate work at FIU in Miami, um, majored in English and minored in psychology, and then went straight into graduate work at Vanderbilt University and finished my PhD there in English in 2017, so last year. And my research really broadly was about anti-Blackness in Miami. I kind of focused on this narrative of Miami as being this like sexy Latin American, racially ambiguous vacation destination and turn that on its head by focusing on how that narrative disproportionately isolates and oppresses and kills Black Americans and Black immigrants. Um, so I focus specifically on Afro-Cubans, Black Haitians, well, Black Americans, but specifically within the context of the civil rights movement as it manifested in Miami. Uh, and then, so your question is about how I ended up here. So that research was really important to me. I was doing a lot of ethnography and a lot of like on the ground work in Miami and reaching out to sort of like local activists and kind of helping them and learning with and from them, which was really wonderful. And then I think that trickled into my teaching and the pedagogy that I adopted, which was going to the source of information, not just the books that are written about the things that are happening, but going to where they're happening and learning from different Different sources of knowledge and different sources of expertise. And I feel like eventually I could do that in a tenure track position maybe, but I didn't feel like I could do it as effectively as the kind of position that Williams advertised, which was holistic care for students and community building in concentric circles that includes faculty, staff, and the kind of broader community. And so I wanted to really learn from this position how to be a better scholar and a more kind of holistic scholar. So how did you manage your personal relationships throughout graduate school? It's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I have some of my best friendships that were developed out of grad school. And I think it's because relationships that are formed in really traumatic circumstances are either the best or the worst relationships that you can have. Hmm. My relationship with my family was deepened during my time in grad school. I was calling them and talking to them and having conversations with them, uh, my dad, my mom and my sister, much more intentionally than I did when I lived with them. And I think a lot of it was I had to take a step back and explain what graduate school was and my experience of it in a way that was very therapeutic for me. Um, and so that was part of a way for my family to get to know me in this like different circumstance that felt really good. A lot of my friends were in the program with me. And so there's that kind of contrast of, you know, my family didn't understand graduate school. And so I had to explain what I was going through and sort of like the kind of testimonial of like articulating what you've seen of what you've been through. Whereas like my grad school friends, we could just sit in a room and not talk to each other and just know what our days were like. And so there was a different kind of personal relationship and depth there. And in terms of my romantic relationships, one thing that I can take away from grad school, you probably won't meet your soulmate when you're your worst self, but you will probably learn a lot about how you cope interpersonally, professionally, and within all those circles. Yeah, kind of like multifaceted experience of maintaining my personal relationships in grad school. Talk to us about your transition from thinking on the tenure track to pursuing a position in higher education administration. 
So when I finished in April, so I defended in April 2017, at that point I had interviewed for tenure track positions and staff positions, and I was offered a tenure track position, and it was the most, to this day, the most dehumanizing interview experience that I've ever had. And it was at an institution, I will not name the institution, but it is 45 minutes from where I grew up. We'll say that. So it's somewhere in the South Florida area. And I had someone, a older white faculty member, touch my hair. So that was one thing that happened. I had someone, no, listen, I had someone introduce themselves to me and hear my name and say, Tatiana, you must speak Spanish. And then start speaking Spanish to me. And then in Spanish, tell me about his family's, this was another white older man, about his family's trips to Costa Rica. And during that trip, there was one other black woman on the faculty. I didn't see her because she was so busy. She was so overworked that she couldn't make time to be part of the interview experience. So it was a combination of that. And then during my interview process, I had to give a job to talk and then, you know, all the kind of moving parts of like meeting with different constituencies on campus and all that. No one ever asked about my teaching. My teaching was not brought up at all. And that was the thing that I was and still am really, really excited about because that's where you interface and interact with the students and support the students most. I wasn't asked about my teaching at all. And so I think my decision to transition into staff was having a better interview experience at Williams, wherein I could see there are problems here too. And there were messy things about my interview process here too. But with the folks that I would be working with most directly, which was Shauna and Angela at the time who were on my interview committee, it was very clear that everything was centered around the students and what was in their best interest and what we were trying to build together and collaboratively. And so that's what made the decision for me was having such an awful tenure track interview experience and then such a really enlightening and exciting interview experience for this position on administrative staff. So I think it was more so the people that I met and what was possible or what seemed like it was possible less than thinking about my career more broadly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you've kind of answered this, but Mm. thinking about the intersections of your research and then Mm. the current work that you're doing, you talked about like the posting said, now that you've lived this for the past year, is what you're doing living up to what you thought you would be doing? 40% of the time, yes. And those are the moments where I'm most excited. 60% of the time, it is learning and trying to bang my head against the wall of this like Northeastern progressivism, which is really gross. Girl. Mm. We've talked about that a little bit. It's not the tea. (laughs) I don't like it. And I don't like how nice people are here because we could get a lot more done if I could just say the blunt thing. Which is like, nice for what? Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) For what? For what? Because you got money? Is that it? Like, why? I think we would have had, I've only been here for six months, but a lot more would have been done if we weren't busy navigating people's feelings um, and the niceties that they uh, kind of cloud their racism in, but it's still racism. They can dress it up though. I know, but it's Sunday best. That's what I'm saying. They're like, they even tailor it. So it looks really nice. (laughs) and sharp and like color coordinated. You got to pay extra for that. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) But those moments where I have students coming into my office to talk to me about how their lives are going, about transitioning out of college, um, about their first year, their first full year in college. This is really quickly. We have a program called Root that is thinking about the intersections of social justice and environmental justice, working with those students and developing an educational curriculum for that program. Those are the moments where I get really excited about Mm -hmm. the work that's possible here. And then I don't know like the team building has been really great too. I actually like who I work with. I don't think that 
happens all the time. I was about to say, everybody can say that. (laughs) So, yeah, I would say 40% of the time I'm doing what the job listing got me excited about. And we've learned we're the same person. To the extent that people call us each other. Oh, never mind. I think that that's a different reason. Light-skinned, black. Uh Uh-huh. No, I'm saying that. Yeah. We are every woman. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Whatever you want. (laughs) That's us. So, oh, what's something you've learned in the last six months? Uh, Oh, I've learned how to reconcile my P-card. I have learned how... How about something about yourself? Listen, <laughs> I have learned how to adapt or that I am adaptable to different learning situations and that my period of adaptation is about four months. Because for my first four months, I was crying probably in every one-on-one that I had with Shauna. Mm. And then I was crying in therapy because I cried in my one-on-one with my boss. <laughs> so it was just all circular. I was like, she thinks, she thinks I'm a mess. She hired this person who was composed and smart. And now I just cry all the time. And then I started to fall in love with the job. So I think I've learned that about... What what made you fall in love with the job? The students? Yes. First and foremost, the students. And I think developing trust with my colleagues, at least the ones that are on my team, right? Mm -hmm. That are at the Davis Center. I think that that made a huge difference. I think having all of the staff here, we had someone who was on leave, but having everyone here made a big difference too. We're doing really difficult, precarious work. And when you don't know and trust the people that you're doing that difficult and precarious work with, it makes it that much harder and that much more isolating. And now we're at a point where we're getting to know each other, establishing that Sean and I are the same person are very, very, very similar. And I think that that has made the difference. It's just knowing the people that I'm working with. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have this thing called speed round Mm. and you can't pause. You have to just answer. You can't him or haw. You just got to answer the damn question. Got it. Pick one. All right. Yes. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Nashville or Williamstown? Nashville. Trap or folk? Trap. (laughs) (laughs) Trap. (laughs) Yanny or Laurel? Laurel. Extrovert or introvert? Introvert. Spilling the tea or Loki shade? Spilling the tea. Yeah, you do. (laughs) 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 All right. So we have a random question of the week. The random question of the week emerges randomly. So when you're in a long ass meeting Mm. that seems to be going nowhere, (laughs) what tricks do you use to look interested while getting your actual work done? Nodding over my laptop. (laughs) Yeah. Like looking over it? Like looking over it, nodding, and then being like, "Mm mm-hmm, and then typing that email out. How often do you do that, Shoshana? I don't do that, Shoshana. (laughs) I actually don't. I actually don't. I don't think, no, we've never had meetings where I have my laptop or my phone out. I haven't seen her do it. Mm Mm-mm. I wouldn't do it, probably, just Shauna. I could think of some other places I've seen her do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, well. <laughs> what do I do? Can I say this? Yeah. So when it's a really annoying meeting or problematic meeting, Shauna has a little burn book uh, or what I would call a burn book. Like from Mean Girls? So what well, kind of, but she will document every problematic or annoying thing that is said Ooh, in I this specific this. notebook. This. And what's great is like, it looks like she's vigorously taking notes and she's not. Or she's not taking notes to the like the purposes that we imagine that she's taking notes. I'm quoting your ass. <clears throat> I'm quoting your That's ass. That's what being that little notebook. I got you. She used to do that ACPA meetings. Did you do that there too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I see you. I think you do the same. You look up at people over your laptop and then just go back to the email. Okay. Yeah. Dang. 
I was hoping she'd be like, oh, I don't, I can't think. Because then that means I'm not doing it well. You see? Oh, well, I, I think she just well. knows you. Mm-hmm. I think for others, you're probably doing it very well. No, I think they know. No, I think they <laughs> notice. I think they notice. I mean. But you don't care. I will say the spaces we're in, you do it, are spaces that are a fundamental waste of our time. So, you know, they should know <laughs> that they're wasting our time and I got other things to do. You should see that flyer that I'm working on for that event next week. Like, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you do? I was thinking about that. I used to make faces and I put that in check. <clears throat> Shauna makes faces. Yeah. You haven't put it in check. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. I know. Somebody, we, we were in a faculty meeting this semester mm. and I I know... What was happening was a waste of time, <laughs> but I thought I was masking it. And Mm-mm. of course, someone comes up to me. It's like, are you okay? Because like your face really said a lot. It's <laughs> like, oh, why were you looking at me? Don't look at me. Oh, my God. Shauna will lift one eyebrow up with mm-hmm. her fingers. We'll kind of rub rub her index finger like over her her. eyebrow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I've seen and that. then sometimes, well, Shauna, your eye will twitch when you're annoyed. And I don't think you can help that, but I notice it. <laughs> it actually does. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of hang-ups, though. You know. But there's a reason for it. There is. what's problematic but today it's me i've been doing a lot of conferencing (laughs) and i think it's great Mm -hmm. it's a a great way to get ideas it's a great way to transmit knowledge i look forward to the mentoring experiences i'm able to acquire and also provide Mm -hmm. so a conference is a really good productive space for me more recently i was at a conference and the registration was quite high Mm-hmm. It's the most expensive registration I've ever seen. Yes. Mm. For a conference. Yes. $800. Ooh. And I always thought about it on an individual level. Mm-hmm. Like, who else can afford that? Like, we're discounting opportunities for individuals. People uh, may not have professional development funds. They have families. Like, there are individual implications to a high registration price. Mm-hmm. This time around, I also thought about the systemic issues that relate to that price tag as it relates to who is looked at as the exemplar in this field. That's right. And we had this conversation the moment I got back, actually, Mm -hmm. where we're upholding individual institutions that can afford to have multiple people coming to those spaces and presenting on their work. And because we are actually absent of certain voices due to the price tag and maybe even the location, because we also pick really expensive places always. I think I've been to San Francisco because of that place, right? San Francisco. San Francisco. We've been there three times, Mm. actually, in the matter of 10 years. I saw that list. Right? Like, we always go to really expensive places, and it's a really expensive space, and it's supposed to be focusing on underrepresentation and identity. So it's really (laughs) interesting. So what's problematic to me is the idea of using identity as a moneymaker, basically, and actually excluding very crucial voices out of a conversation that is meant for them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and where they do that at. So I left that space like, oh, I did some work and this was great. And I did a lot of reflection and that was cool. But also what hung it up for me was thinking about how everyone was pointing to Michigan, for example, as the space that does all this work. And yeah, they do great things, but so does Bennett College. Mm -hmm. You know, so does uh, Central State University. (laughs) Like there are other institutions that do miles and miles of work that is phenomenal. And we're not seeing it because it's not getting the same exposure. And because they don't have the same amount of money. Mm hmm. That's what's problematic this week. Let's talk about and share, because one thing we didn't say, uh, because we were going to save this for the end. So Cameron and I had a party. And for those that know me, I love to throw a good party. I was it our party? It was your party. We threw a party. (laughs) But you... (laughs) It was an open bar party, people. (laughs) Cameron. What did I do? Became a co-host of this party. (laughs) You were your best self, okay? The best, the best. So we have some takes, some outtakes that we want to share with you. Take a listen. And I have some questions. Just a thought. So people make fun of me for saying y'all, or they think I'm just super country, and I am a little. But I'm also saying it because I want to be intentional about the words that I use, and I don't like to say you guys. And so I've trained myself into saying y'all so that I'm not saying you guys to people. So what are some uh, words you use instead of you guys to try not to gender your, your sentences? I've been drinking. I've been drinking. I've also, I'm the same, I'm a y'all person. Folks, I don't do it a lot, but folks comes up. Yeah, friend of mine, yeah. He was a friend of mine. So what are some other words you use instead of you guys? I say friends. Mm-hmm. So I say friends in class. I'm like, hey, friends, let's bring it back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm, our challenge to y'all is to try to refrain from using you guys. Try to find other words you can use instead of you guys because not everybody identifies as a guy. Hey, so my name is Ashton Darrett. I am from Brooklyn, New York. I uh, came out here to the Berkshires to study business management, and now I work as an academic counselor at Berkshire Community College. Great. So, Ashton, you know what code switching is. Um, give me your code switching voice as if you were speaking to a white person. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, ma'am, how can I help you? I would love to get you registered for classes, and if anything, we can have your son register for classes too. Of course, you can take classes with him. That's not weird at all. <laughs> An irate mother. Ma'am, you know, you yelling and screaming does not change the situation. We would love to help you, but, you know, you got to be calm and collected. Oh, I know that you're angry, but, it's, you know, it, it's fine. I'm here to help. When you go home to your family. What up? <laughs> What's for dens? <laughs> what we doing? What's good? All of that. Hi, hello, everyone. Yes, I'm Teresa. From the diaspora. Yes, yes, I am. Um, there's a lot going on in there. We can we could talk about that later if y'all want to ask a question around that. But if you want me to explain it now, why not explain it now? Okay, all right, here we go. So, um, oh, I will I will hold this. Here, this hold Shauna's lazy. Go ahead, hold it. Okay, I got it. All right. So Shauna's efficient. <laughs> yeah, of course. Why? Well, like never, never less than that. So, what are some of your favorite phrases when you're trying to say no nicely? Mm, no nicely. Code switching. All right. So it depends on who I'm talking to. So I'll give it to you if I'm talking to staff. Mm-hmm. If 
generally how we communicate is via email and sometimes we prep people to say like can i give you a call so then you could call if that's what you say in your email but typically it's email so if it was via email and someone said like hey Teresa, i know you work in you know the diversity and equity office we were wondering if you could help sponsor or help assist with this program i would then respond and say hey such and such um, this would be the voice that it would be related in. But I would say, hey, you know, insert name here. This sounds like a really cool event. Currently at this time, we have a certain amount of projects going on. We would love to support um, with what you're asking for. Currently we can't meet those needs, but let us know any other way that we can assist with this. So that would be a polite way of saying, like, no to our fellow staff. Mm -hmm. And then if faculty asked, well, shit, then our VP probably or the director then jumped in at that point, and that's beyond my pay grade. Because if faculty's involved, typically we try to be as hands-on as we can be just because that's one of the elements to what our office does. So we try to figure out where we could be helpful if they ask for our help. <laughs> so that's how that goes. Just general people inquiring about, like, assistance or doing a program or, like, needing something or asking for assistance somewhere. Um, typically saying no is, like, similar to what I stated with the staff, which is just being, like, currently our current, like, we have some other things going on, but we'd love to support in other ways. Let us know how else we can support you. So it's like a soft no, but like a, we can help somewhere else. You know, maybe we'll, oh, what's your emails to our listserv? Mm -hmm. You know, that type of thing. Typically people want help with like programming when they're reaching out via email. Other than that, when they come to our office, it's usually for like compliance or something like legally we're obligated to help with, yeah. but yeah. All right, so we're here with Jahaira. Hello. Where are you from? So I grew up between New York City and Boston. Ooh, ooh, look at you! I see how you do my accents, though. Passive aggressiveness. Shauna and I have talked about this quite a bit. We do not like passive aggressive people in the workplace. So if you could talk through, talk us through a time when you have experienced passive aggressiveness in the workplace. What is the most passive aggressive mm -hmm. line that you have received from someone? I have not experienced a lot of that, thankfully. I get, I get I, a lot of white splaining. White splaining looks like the girl in my race and ethnicity class telling me um, about her friend who is Puerto Rican and then proceeds to explain to me, a Puerto Rican woman, what's going on in Puerto Rico right now. Ooh. Yeah, there's a lot of that, a lot. Lady, I got family that I had to move off of the island. Yeah, I'm, I'm real. It's one of those. It's your lived experience. It's my lived experience, firsthand. Absolutely. Yeah. Think I'm gonna make a move now. <laughs> Why'd you stop? Oh, it's not working yet. Okay, hold on. It has to be green. Did you turn? Oh. Paji, are you hearing me? See, I don't know if it's green. Where? It's here, picking up. It's this. There. Oh, wait. No, I think it's working. Paji. We're here with Dr. Tatiana McInnes. Tell Hi. us about yourself. Tatiana, tell the people about Hi. yourself. I'm from Miami. I have to hold it. Miami. Miami. And I got my PhD in English at Vanderbilt. And now I'm here in Billsville, Massachusetts, living my best life. AKA Williamstown. I feel like I feel like I feel. Like I feel like I say I feel a lot. Say the two differences. So I feel like and then when you're upset. I feel like just give the people <laughs> a little taste about the differences. Like, you know, give the different variations. 
So the variation for me is about the pauses. When I'm with my people, I feel like. And when I'm with white people, I feel like. Ooh. You see what I mean? Ooh, that's, a, that's a lesson. That's right. That's right. So you got to pause and punctuate because I want to give them time to catch up with me. That's kind of what I'm doing with the pause. Okay. I have you, to say no. You have to say, you have to say no and you're trying to be nice about it. What are some ways in which you say no? Um... You know, I'm really bad at this, and I feel like instead of saying no outright, I'll put it off. <laughs> I'll be like, I just need to think about it. And then I'll never reply, and that's Ooh. my way of being, That's my way of being like, no. <laughs> that's called trifling. Am I trifling? Yeah, you Miami trifling. Yeah, that's fine. I'm good with that. You're Miami rat. That, and that's the tea, and that's all the shade. That's right. And what's, she go- wait, what's the question? It's coming. Okay. <laughs> Did your institution serve you well as a Hispanic-serving institution as far as student services Mm -hmm. to student success? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it did. I think that FIU could have done a little bit more work to think about the intersections of blackness with Latinidad, Uh um, from my experience. But I absolutely think that I had advisors and folks um, at multicultural centers at FIU who were really invested in my academic success um, and career success more broadly. So I think it did. What did Uh, that look like, though? It looked like a lot of the work that we do um, at the Davis Center. It looked like holistic self-care for students. It looked like, yes, these applications are due, but are you eating? It looked like, yes you're trying to end up in like the tenure track line but like are you fulfilled it looked like those kinds of questions at the undergraduate level at the undergraduate level absolutely um and i was very fortunate to have advisors that were posing questions that i couldn't yet answer um but that stayed with me in terms of like even ending up here like the questions that i asked myself about this position that have stayed with me for sure thank you tatiana for spending some time with us so uh cameron thoughts on our experience we should probably done this before the open bar opened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it was great. Cameron was cussing everybody out. <laughs> I, I felt like I was hits from the streets. Y'all remember hits from the streets on VT? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Cam- Good times. You Good could times. you could feel it as as from the beginning to the end. Near the end, <laughs> as you heard. It was it was phenomenal. But like we did it at different stages of the night as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the night, it was a great time. It was a one. You throw a good party. Thank you. You throw a great party. <laughs> Jokes of the week. Did you hear that, people? Oh God, you're good. Don't you look at her? No, because I usually say "Oh God" in my head. I've never said it out loud. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's because Shauna and I joke for the week. That's what I do. <laughs> but in my head, I'm like, "Oh God!" Oh God. <laughs> Here we go. And he secretly loves them. So mm. whatever. So, I, I admitted that before. I got these jokes, and now I have a tag team. Y'all can't look at each other though, because then you're yeah, you're gonna do that. They give each other side eye, and it encourages <laughs> them not to laugh when they want to. Are y'all ready? Yes. When does a joke become a dad joke? When a dad tells it. When the punchline becomes apparent. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't two elephants go swimming? Why? They don't float. That's, well, boats float. Okay. Because they only have one pair of trunks. (laughs) 
I'm on a roll. Oh my god. What rhymes with orange? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that one was funny. I just texted my girlfriend Ruth and told her that it's over between us. I'm ruthless. <laughs> Sans Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, y'all, this is a little risque. It just gives a little entry point into my humor, and I know this is higher education and student affairs, so social justice. Hashtag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a cake baked by a hooker? Stormy Daniels. Ooh. <laughs> Homemade. <laughs> the hoe made it. Composure. Keep it together. Congrats to Crystal George Mwangi, Assistant Professor of Higher Education at UMass Amherst, for receiving the Innovative Research and International Education Award from NAFSA. Also, congrats to Dr. James L. Moore III, Ohio State University's next Vice Provost for Diversity and Inclusion. So we leave you with this for this week. A lot of people resist transition and therefore never allow themselves to enjoy who they are. Embrace the change, no matter what it is. Once you do, you can learn about the new world you're in and take advantage of it. Nikki Giovanni. Many times we don't take time to reflect on how we have evolved and what life experiences have contributed to our growth. Take some time this summer and reflect on where you were last year. What personal changes and growth have you seen in yourself? What and who contributed to that growth? And how do you receive more of that? That's what's happening in these streets. Scholar T. We'll see you next week for the season finale. Thanks for being here with us. temperature on the highest damn speed okay 64 degrees and it's on turbo what the f- do i need to put this bitch on power ranger
This is unacceptable. I did not sign up for this. When I prayed during the winter months, I asked the Lord to make it warm. I did not say, Lord, please bring the devil from hell and have him sit his ass crack on earth. That's not what I asked for. That is not what I requested. Okay? I cannot do this. Okay? The Lord need to delegate temperature and weather to somebody else. Where the hell is Moses? Talk to Moses about this shit because the Lord is out of control and I cannot deal with this. I am not tropical. I'm not a damn toucan. This is fucking this is too goddamn much. I should it should not be so damn hot that I'm up here having dreams about me being on fire. Everybody getting on my damn nerves. So goddamn hot. Shit. 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 Oh. Everybody's getting on my nerves. Everybody's kids is getting on my nerves. These guys downstairs keep barbecuing every day of day. Every day of day. Every day can't be a holiday. Every day can't be a holiday. It's not a celebration. Who the hell paying for this damn meat? I do not do this. This is not what I do. Jesus, be a raindrop or central air because I cannot breathe.